Well, it is Mother's Day, but uh, we're not actually doing a specific Mother's Day-themed message this year. Uh, I normally do that, but uh, this year we're going to continue on in our series, uh, True or False, that we started last week. And uh, moms, it's not personal, okay? Uh, the same thing's going to happen for Father's Day, all right? There won't be a specific Father's Day message either, uh, so it'll be even, okay? Um, but last week we started this, this series... And uh, we laid the groundwork last week. We laid the foundation, and uh, we said that what is true for all areas of life, for all things of, of faith and spirituality and, and all things uh, of practice in life, the standard of truth that does not change, it's timeless and it's absolute, it's the Word of God. And we said that everything in life needs to come back to that absolute standard of truth, the Word of God. Uh, we find in it all that God wants us to know, all that He wants us to be, all that He wants us to find out about Himself, and ultimately, everything in the written Word points to the living and eternal Word, which is the Lord Jesus. And we said that throughout the rest of the series, this week on, uh, we're going to keep coming back to that foundation, that the specific examples that we look at and ask the question, is this true or false? We're going to come back to the Word of God for the answer. Because it has all the answers in everything that we face. And we're, we're inundated all the time with things coming at us outside of these walls and sometimes even within that cause us to ask that question, is this true or is this false? How can I determine what is true, what I'm hearing and what I'm being encouraged to pursue and, and what I'm being challenged with. Is it true or is it false? And there's so many things all throughout life that beg that question. We're not going to cover all of them uh, in this series, but I am going to address some of what is the most prevalent and, and what are the most frequent that we find ourselves being faced with. So with that in mind, uh, today as we really launch into the specifics, uh, the first area of, of question that we're going to consider, uh, it's what is absolutely right now and has, has been for a long time and doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon, some popular philosophies and positions in our world, in our culture, in our society, and yes, even within the, the global church, specifically the Western church, popular philosophies and positions. And we're going to look at two of those. Those are homosexuality and abortion, homosexuality and abortion. And starting with homosexuality, you know as well as I do how uh, much this is uh, common and coming at us in our world today, how much it's before us all the time, uh, and it seems to be with increasing measure. Uh, you can't even watch uh, any, any TV at all or any sporting event on TV, basketball game, football game, regular show, uh, whatever, without... Uh, every other commercial, it seems, having some sort of agenda in it. And it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's things like, like pop commercials, you know, Pepsi, Coke, whatever, uh, clothing commercials. There's you know, jewelry commercials, vacation commercials. It's like there's an obligatory uh, statement that all these advertisers get that you must include some reference to a homosexual lifestyle, to the homosexual agenda. I, I mean, one day I was just watching a basketball game and I was counting every commercial to see how many 
uh, would, would, that came across that had some sort of reference or image or something that promoted, you know, a same-sex relationship. And I mean, eventually I lost count. It, it was just, it was constant. It was just as prevalent as the, uh, you know, the alcohol commercials that you expect to find uh, in such a, a, a thing, such an event. And on and on we can go, and, and you know as well as I do how frequent that is. And the message of that philosophy in that position is increasingly in your face. You know, it's increasingly um, aggressive, and it's across all levels of our society. It's in the, in the political realm. It's in the entertainment industry. Uh, it's in uh, in the retail world, in shopping. I mean, it's it's everywhere. And some of the things that culture says, it's what we really need to ask, okay, what, what does culture have to say about this? What does society say? What is the message that they're trying to get across? And uh, there's a variety of different things. Um, the most frequent seems to be uh, something like love is love. You know, as long as it's love and sincere and real, it doesn't matter. Uh, love, if it's true, and lasting, love is love is love. And that's it. As long as there's love, who are we to define how that should be expressed? Uh, another very common uh, line of reasoning or thinking is, um, well, don't, don't be too hard on me. Don't criticize my lifestyle. Yes, I'm gay, but I'm gay because God made me this way. You've probably heard some, something like that. Uh, that's becoming increasingly frequent and common. Uh, a popular entertainer kind of started that statement, born this way, Lady Gaga. She promoted that uh, with her, her album, and, and that kind of caught fire. And now it's, it's even come into making it spiritualized, where, no, we, I, I can't help this because God made me this way, and that's really why I'm, I'm gay. And there's others that you've heard uh, as far as defenses or uh, position statements as far as why someone is homosexual and why that's okay and why we should be okay with it. Uh, things like, you know, you, you can't really choose uh, uh, who or how you are, and you can't and I can't either, so we should just accept one another. And uh, isn't God love? So, you know, you should just totally accept everything that I am just as I accept everything you are. And there's statements like, well, what is normal really? Normal really doesn't exist. Normal is subjective. And on and on we could go, but I'll, I'll stop there because we all, I think, get the idea. That's a little example of what culture says when it comes to homosexuality. Uh, what about the church? That's an, another good question, Right? What is the, the church, and by that I don't mean this church specifically, I mean the church, the general broad church of today, the modern church. Uh, what about the church? What, what does the church have to say about this issue? I want to give you just some examples of um, what some parts of the church, notice my air quotes there, uh, have done uh, in recent years in regard to homosexuality. Several of the U.S. mainline denominations have left biblical truth uh, on the issue of homosexuality and have allowed the ordination 
of openly gay-identified clergy, or they have redefined marriage to include same-sex unions. Some of these mainline denominations, uh, you probably know about them, and they include the United Church of Christ, uh, the Episcopal Church of America, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, those have all made news over the years, and uh, perhaps you maybe even know of a church uh, personally where that has happened. Sad, but it's the reality. However, it's not just the mainline denominational churches that have struggled and ultimately compromised with this issue. Um, here are a few examples of, of non-mainline, not those, you know, what we would classify as the kind of the big historical churches in our land. Uh, here's a few examples of some other individuals that claim to be part of the church uh, or other churches themselves. In 2014, Morgan Lee, which was a Southern, uh, is still a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, a graduate from Talbot School of Theology, he was also an adjunct professor, he announced to his very, very large church after his son publicly came out as gay that he no longer believed homosexuality to be a sin. And as a result of that and some other discussion, his church voted to officially break with the Southern Baptist Conference on this issue of homosexuality and decided to um, unanimously and publicly affirm same-sex relationships. Also in 2014... It was discovered that Hillsong Church's New York campus had an openly gay choir director. Um, the historic Calvary Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. is an affiliated congregation with the American Baptist Church USA. They currently have a lesbian couple serving as co-pastors at the church. Manhattan's very famous and progressive Riverside Church uh, is affiliated with both the American Baptist Church USA and the United Church of Christ. And Riverside currently dedicates an entire ministry called Maranatha to affirming practicing homosexual behavior. Christian identified singer songwriters such as Ray Bolts, who wrote the songs in the 90s, very famous songs. Um, Watch the Lamb, I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Um, I'm probably forgetting something else that was very popular. Um, Jennifer Knapp, also. Uh, she was really popular in the early 2000s. Clay Aiken of American Idol fame, who uh, always claimed to be a strong, born-again believer. All of them identify openly as, as uh, practicing homosexuals, either gay or lesbian. Recently, um, when asked in an interview after being on the Ellen Show, if homosexuality is a sin, um, super popular, Grammy-nominated Christian singer Lauren Daigle uh, would not give a direct answer to that question, but rather said this, I can't honestly answer on that. I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. So when people ask questions like that, that's, my, that's what my go-to is. I just say, hey, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. So that's Lauren Daigle's response. Uh, then lastly, 
Ken Wilson, which is a prominent pastor of Vineyard Church, has written a book explaining how the Holy Spirit helped him to become absolutely affirming of all homosexual relationships. So, there you have it. And that's by no means all conclusive. Uh, That's just a snapshot of what many in the church are saying or doing or uh, believing in reference to this issue of homosexuality. And as important as it is to understand that and to understand where they're coming from and what they're saying and to be aware of things like that, ultimately the most important thing for all of us here is to ask the question, what does God's Word say? What does God say about this issue? And we find that very clearly in God's Word, which is why, on one hand, it's good what Miss Daigle had to say about, you know, hey, read the Bible, find out for yourself. That's a good starting point for sure, but she shouldn't have to say, well, then you, when you find out, you tell me. She should certainly be heeding her own advice. And I don't know her, obviously, personally, and I'm not here to try to convince you to no longer listen to her music. I'm not calling for, like, a boycott of Lauren Daigle here. I'm just letting you know what she said on her own, and uh, right now, at least, where her mindset is. Thankfully, we can all know. We can all find the answer. It's very clear. It's very direct. It's very objective. And it's very constant and unchanging, and it's in God's Word. So the question we're asking is, what does God say about this? And in Genesis uh, chapter 1, right at the very beginning of of his story and our story, uh, right in the beginning of, of creation itself, we have an idea of how God set things up, what he intended things to be like, and how he intended things to continue to to go. Genesis 1, verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, mankind, male and female. Male and female. Distinct, obvious, intended differences and specific factors and characteristics that should be separate. They're intended that way. My, uh, my old pastor growing up, every time this issue would come up, and, and it was actually really just starting to come up when I was growing up. It was just starting to kind of filter into the mainstream and to gain traction. It really wasn't all that prevalent, but it was starting, and, and he recognized the dangers of that. And so every time he would address this issue in any way, shape, or form, he would go to this passage, and he would always say, God didn't create man, Adam and Steve, he created them, Adam and Eve. And we would all chuckle and we would all laugh and like, well, of course, yeah, obviously, we don't ever need to question that. But unfortunately, that is being questioned over and over and over, all through our society. You know, that's why we have the LGBT, right? The, the T, the transgender. People are saying, um, I'm not meant to be what I am biologically, so I'm going to alter that. I'm going to change that. And after all, that is my right to do so. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. And from that distinct creation, there's also distinct 
specific purpose and role for that. In Genesis 2, verses 20 through 24, after Adam has been created, Eve has not been yet, God has all of the animals in the Garden of Eden come to Adam and he sees what Adam's going to name them and he's responsible for them. And and the idea there too is that he has a relationship with these animals. It's a very intimate personal relationship, probably much more than what we know as uh, pet owner and pet, As, as special as that might be, it was probably a whole different level at this point. Um... I personally believe that uh, animals probably had the gift of speech. I know, that's weird, but that's what I believe. I mean, Eve didn't seem to uh, get really shocked or surprised when the serpent started talking to her, did she? It wasn't like, oh my goodness. It was like, yeah, this is normal, I'm just going to talk. I believe that that contributed to a very deep personal relationship between them and Adam. And however long it was, we don't know, before Eve came into the picture... It was Adam, and it was all the animals, the livestock and everything. And here's what the Word of God says about that. Verse 20, Genesis 2. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. No helper was found complementary to him. As great as those animals were, as, as special as that relationship probably was, it wasn't enough. Something was missing. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from man. And here's a really important verse. Verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. See, the institution of marriage and the marriage relationship is not something that man came up with. And therefore, Man has no ability or right in and of themselves to alter that and to adjust that because it wasn't man made. This is God made. This is God ordained. Not just that there would be marriage, but the way marriage would function, the way marriage would be between one man and one woman, period. This is not suggestive. This is not, hey, this would be a good idea. This would be a good thing to follow in life. This is prescriptive. And this is settled. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be open for debate. It's not supposed to be open for interpretation. How this was set up was meant to continue to be that way. In the New Testament, Jesus himself endorsed that And said, when the Pharisees and scribes were trying to trick him and mess him up on the issue of divorce and multiple marriages, he said, have you not read? Have you not read that in the beginning he made them male and female? And this is why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife? So he's endorsing not just marriage, but the way marriage is to function. The way marriage is supposed to look and operate. 
And within that context and within those bonds, the Word of God says this in Leviticus 18 through 22. It, it really is very clear, very obvious, very direct. It says this, You are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. Another translation that you might have, it says, and it's an abomination. It's totally abhorrent to God. It's totally opposite and always will be of everything that He desires and has set up. It will always be outside of His will and outside of the parameters of, of what is right and good. This is not open for debate. This is not open for speculation or altering. This is from God Himself. The God who made us has the ability to define for us what is right and what is wrong. The God who made us has the ability to establish clear parameters and guides for us. And that's what he's doing here. And then again in the New Testament, unless we, we think that this is just an Old Testament thing and limited to you know, a certain time period, it's not relevant uh, beyond the Old Testament, Paul gives us a very clear um, set of of instruction and uh, admittedly hard things to hear, but necessary things to hear, truth uh, in relation to this topic. In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 25 through 28. Romans 1, 25 through 28. This is describing mankind's departure from the objective and timeless truth of God. Uh, it started off with idolatry and, and people decided, you know, we're not going to worship the only true God. We're going to start worshiping the way we want to worship. We're going to worship whatever we want to worship. We're going to leave uh, the exclusive honoring of God as supreme and we're going to just kind of do whatever we want. We're going to make whatever God we want. We're going to pursue whatever God we want. And here's what it says was the result of that. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God, which doesn't change, is timeless, for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. And here's the result of that tragic decision within humanity. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. That's the truth of God, church. That's the Word of God. It's timeless, it's eternal, it's not open for twisting because we. Don't like the sound of it. 
It's not open for manipulation to make it easier to swallow. It doesn't depend on on our acceptance of it for it to be right. It simply is right. It simply is truth. And it's constant truth. And we have really one simple choice before us, all of us. We either submit to it, you know, we accept it, we bow before it, we obey it, we exalt and honor it, or we don't. It's as simple as that. There is no picking and choosing. You can't accept parts of the Word of God while rejecting others and say you believe in God's Word. It's all or nothing. And you can't say you know and love God if you don't also honor, accept, and submit to His Word. You can't have it both ways. Because the God who gave us His Word doesn't change just as His Word doesn't change. And to know Him and love Him means we know and love His Word and abide by it, period. Whether it's easy or hard. Whether we like what it says or we don't. So that's the issue of homosexuality. Um, The other issue that is very prevalent, and uh, it it has been around for a long time, but uh, it's just not going anywhere, and it just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up, is the issue of abortion. These really are the the two major hot-button issues in our society, and again, that includes even into the church today, the modern church. Homosexuality and abortion. There's other things, of course, but those are the biggies. And so just as we did with homosexuality, let's, let's kind of consider what culture says about this. Okay, what, what culture says about abortion. Um, a very popular message is that it's my mind, it's my body, it's my choice. My mind, my body, my choice. Um... You've seen coverage of different protests and rallies where signs are held up, uh, things like stop the war on women's bodies, because that's what it is. You're you're making war on us. You're you're trying to enforce and impose your will on us. You're trying to rule our lives. You're you're going to war against something you have no right to question or, or challenge or instruct us on. Stay out of our lives. You know, this is... If you're not a woman, you don't understand, you have nothing to speak on, it's all up to us. We get to decide what we want to do and how we want to do it. You have an ideology even among medical professionals when uh, it's discovered that uh, a child is going to have defects, you know, physical defects, mental defects, hardships in life, and many times a proposed well-meaning medical professional will look at mother and father or just mother and say, you know, I can tell you from experience how hard this child is going to have in how, how much of a, a hard life this child's going to have, how, how hard of a time they're going to have all throughout life. And it's just cruel to bring them into this world knowing what they'll face, knowing the stigmas of society that they're going to have to endure, And really, the loving thing to do, the merciful thing to do, would be to go ahead and terminate this pregnancy, if they're even willing to call it that at that point, before it goes any further. 
And it, you know, it's suggested as, as the kind, humane thing to do. Um, recently, we, we heard about the absolutely insane piece of legislation that went through New York, right? With the abortion bill in New York. Um, the, I forget the exact weeks of, of what they classified as, as legal. Does anybody remember how long the week limit was? I mean, it, it's okay if you don't. It was, it was crazy. It's insane. Um, and where, where if a baby is born at that point, it's more than viable, like completely able to, to be functioning and healthy. And yet uh, the legislation decided, nope, it's, it's not uh, at that point of viability and, and it's fine. Let's just go ahead and extend that, that term out as much as we can. It's just unthinkable. When you have messages like that coming across, it makes it that much more beautiful and glorious and powerful when you have children like Aspen Hicks, who for four years now has been a living, walking miracle, who if her mom and dad, Aspen, uh, uh, Lauren and Travis, had, had heard what the doctor said to them, as Aspen was in fact diagnosed with many physical issues and, and what they would classify as defects, even though God would def- classify them as designs uh, that he was going to use for his purpose and his glory, they would classify them as defects and, and ongoing uh, traumatic issues. And they heard that, and if they had heeded what they heard... And decided, yep, at the advice of my doctor, which was given, we're going to terminate this pregnancy out of mercy and out of love and to do the humane thing. Then they and countless others would not know the tremendous blessing and finger pointing to God and his goodness that is Aspen. And there's millions of stories like that. But that's the message that we're getting in society. It's my choice. It's my right. And because we don't know how this is all going to turn out, let's just, let's just terminate. Forgetting that God is the designer of all life and he never makes mistakes. Forgetting or ignoring. Well, again, let's ask the question, what about the church? Just as we did with homosexuality. What is the modern, Western, especially, not just the Western, but for our purposes, of course, in our context, we're going to be focusing in on the Western church, on the issue of abortion. Only 35% of those who are part of the mainline Protestant tradition, the ones that I, I mentioned before, uh, say abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. 60% are in support of keeping abortion legal indefinitely. Members of the Episcopal Church, 79%. The United Church of Christ, 72%, are especially likely among denominations to support legal abortion. Most members of the Presbyterian Church USA and the mainline Evangelical Lutheran Church in America also take this position at 65%. The Roman Catholic Church is still an outspoken official critic of abortion, but many individual U.S. Catholics were divided on this issue in a recent survey, a 2014-2015 survey, with 48% supporting legal abortion and 47% opposed. So there's an overview of what is being kind of propagated in, in the church. 
And again, the question is, aside from all those things, what does God have to say? What does his word have to say about this issue? And I want to direct you uh, to a beautiful passage of scripture that again is very clear, very obvious. Psalm 139. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Here's what God's word says. And David, the man after his own heart, has to say, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I have fond memories of my grandmother sitting at, a, at her, her special rocking chair and knitting all the time. And it was always precise. It's always intricate. It's always detailed. That's the idea here. God not being withdrawn and removed, but intimately, intricately involved in this process. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You designed and fashioned me. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. The, uh, the Hebrew there, it, the literal image is of a, of a potter fashioning clay, molding clay into, into a useful object or into a piece of art. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. There's life at conception. Before any cells completely developed and formed before the embryo, before anything came together and formed in what we would recognize clearly, you know, as a, as a baby. Before that, life exists. You, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So clearly, church, what this says is, before we were born, God knew us and fashioned us and ordained life for us. Actually planned out all the days of our life, what that would be, what that would look like, what we would be, and what we would accomplish and do. He has plans for every single life, which begins not at birth, not at certain stages of development in the womb, but at conception. It's clear and it's obvious. So, the next question with all of this in mind, the next question that we need to ask ourselves is, who's the one really behind the curtain of all of this? Behind the homosexual agenda and all of its push and pull and ideology and philosophy and mindset. Behind abortion and all that goes with that. Who is the one really calling the shots and pulling the string? Who's the one behind the curtain? I want to draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 15 says this, You said to yourself, and the you, and the yourself being referenced, is none other than our great enemy, Satan, formerly known as Lucifer. Verse 12 tells us that, gives us a very big, obvious clue. 
uh, because what is being described there um, is actually the literal translation of Lucifer's name. So verse 13 says this, You, Lucifer, said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. My friends, what is behind these agendas and these philosophies and platforms and positions is the great deceiver, Satan. He's the one behind it. He's calling the shots. And it really kind of all starts back with evolutionary thought. If we're really all accidents, if, if there wasn't a, an intricate and intimate designer God involved, if we're all just here kind of floating along and whatever happens, happens, then yeah, abortion's not a big deal. And yeah, homosexuality is not a big deal. It's not an issue because we're all just accidents. It's all coincidence. It's all random. And that leads to atheistic thought and autotheism, which is I can be my own God. You know, there's no real true atheist. There's no, no real belief that no God exists. Those who are atheists are really autotheists. They are actually making themselves God because they're saying, I know absolutely there's no God. Well, the only one who has absolute knowledge is God. So they're saying, I, I'm, I'm that. And that then gives them license in their worldview to live however they want. Abort a baby, be homosexual, be transgender, doesn't matter. This is all the working of our, our enemy and our great deceiver, Satan. The question that we have as believers, what we have to come down to, what we have to ask is what do we do with all this and how do we respond to all of this? What is our response to be? It certainly is not what we have unfortunately seen in uh, the opposing protests and rallies at, at, uh, uh, you know, at the homosexual rallies and days or, or at abortion clinics or through uh, things like Westboro Baptist. It's not that. That's not the answer. That's not the response. It's not holding up signs that says God hates fags because he doesn't. It's not threatening to blow up abortion clinics or threatening people that come into those clinics. That's not God's way. That's not what Christ would have us do. That's not his example. And so what we have to do is to follow Christ's example. That's how we answer this. Follow Christ's example. What was his example? We find it in Matthew 9, 36. We see it lived out in his life. Here's what the word of God says about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. My friends, that's what every lost person out in the world is. They are harassed and helpless by the enemy, by their own sinful condition, by the world around them. They're without a shepherd, the shepherd that we, if we are in Christ, know. And what is our calling and our task is to take the love of Christ combined with the truth of Christ, not exclusive from one another, but combined, grace and truth, love and truth, the way he always did, the way he does with us, to take that out into the world. 
Because Jesus did not come to just make gay people straight. He didn't come to just make people who are thinking about abortion to stop having abortions. He came to make sinners into saints. He came to save lost people, of which we all are. We've got to get that into our heads. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. Yes, abortion is a sin. But they are not by any means the only sins or even the supreme sins. All throughout the New Testament, when Paul addresses um, lists of sins and, and he talks to believers and he says, remember who you were, he lists homosexuals in there, yeah. And he says... Uh, People who openly continue to practice homosexuality cannot enter the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop at that. He says, neither can liars and thieves and adulterers and fornicators. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which we all are. And when we accept his salvation, that does not make us suddenly superior to everyone else. It means we have the chance and the privilege of taking the redemption and the salvation, the life that we have now found in Jesus, and to take it out into that dark world where the people are still lost without a shepherd and are being harassed day in and day out by the enemy. That is our calling. Not one of hate, but one of love. So the question before us as we say on all these issues and the other ones that we'll look at, is this true or false? When we, when we come to the place of saying, this is true based on God's word, what we do with that then is to take that truth in love and in humility to those who are still under the falsehood and the lies of our enemy. That's what we have to do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you have clearly communicated to us what is true and what is false. And if we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired those who wrote these words to guide us and direct us and to help us in the truth that we read. Thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Help us who have heard your word now today to go out and live in light of it. Help us to stand firm on truth without compromising, without apologizing, but to do so with love and with humility, and with grace. Because even those who subscribe to these lifestyles have still been fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And it was their sin, like ours, that put your son on the cross. And he died for them just as much as he died for us. We thank you for all of this. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.